Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode and another series, a series four here of The Shapes of Stories with me, Lawrence Prestige. Um, I hope you're all well. Um, lots of things have been going on since we last uh, did an episode. Um, COVID, I guess, is sort of under control as much as it can be at the moment, but there's still lots of weird and crazy things going on right Uh, lots to talk about Uh, lots of wonderful guests to bring you in this series as well and we're going to be starting this series with the wonderful Kerry Ellis who is uh, a really lovely lady and phenomenally talented Um, an incredible voice and we shared quite a lot of stuff um, in our conversation you know we spoke about um, musical theatre she's got a book coming out so be sure to to check that out from Bumpkin to Broadway um, coming out in November, so be sure to order your copies. Um, you know, we talked about her musical theatre career, we talked about um, her time on The Voice, um, the, audition, the audition that she had, we talked about, um, uh, you know, her influences and the work she does with Brian May. She gets a tour with Brian May, how awesome is that? Um, and my friend uh, Jake is a massive fan of her and Brian May's shows that they do, so uh, I mentioned that to Kerry um, to see what they got planned for the future. Um, so yeah, really excited to bring you this episode and this new series and really happy to kick off with Kerry Ellis. Um, be sure to follow us on our social media pages. You can um, follow us on Twitter at Shapes of Stories. Um, you can follow me on Twitter under LPrestige7 or my Instagram page, um, Prestige Books. And you can follow my personal Facebook page as well, just Lawrence Prestige. Um, actually been a bit busy myself. I've written a new, a new book, um, you know, I'll mention this briefly, I don't want to go too on about it, but um, it's something that I've been working on for quite a long time. It's my first book away from children's literature. Um, it's called The Boy Who Lost His Smile. And um, it talks about my battle with depression and mental health issues and alcohol and addictions. And um, yeah, I'm quite terrified now it's been released. <laughs> um, it's out there available on Amazon or wherever you order your books from. Um, you know, and the publishers, Trigger Publishing, um, really big thanks to them for helping me um, tell my story um, and be interested, being interested in it. Um, you know, I wrote it, although I'm terrified that, you know, my story's out there and there's things that I'm not proud of in the book. Um, I care profoundly about, um, you know, people you know I, I care profoundly about encouraging people to people to be less afraid and that's all what what the book's about really and um so I encourage anyone that's got any mental health issues um battles with depression or addiction to check it out and some of the proceeds go to the amazing um sure mind charity so be sure to check that out um my new book, uh, The Boy Who Lost His Smile by Lawrence Prestige. But anyway, without further ado, here is my chat with Kerry Ellis. So hi Kerry, I mean, how's 
I suppose this last 18 months been for you? <laughs> it's been all a bit mad. Yeah, all a bit crazy. I mean, I feel like we're almost, we're almost uh, past, I, it feels like we were talking about the lockdown for so long and about, you know, things being closed and, you know, people having, especially in the entertainment industry, having to deal with these, these dramatic changes in our life. But for me, it feels like everything, you know, we were just saying, everything has picked up so dramatically, so quickly that it, it's almost like it was a bad dream, you know, and that stuff, yeah. is, stuff is happening, which is brilliant. And I feel mm. like that there's a real want and yearn and need for entertainment and live um, performances again, which is, which is fantastic. I mean, whether we've learned anything, like, you know, I, I did spend, I was so busy pre-lockdown and I, I did kind of enjoy the stopping a little bit and, and taking a bit of time and, and prioritizing and being with my family. And I, I said to myself, I'm going to try and do that moving forward. And already I'm back in and my life is chaotic <laughs> and I'm here, there and everywhere. My kids are here, there and everywhere, but yeah. you know, I'm grateful that it, stuff is moving again. That's great. Have you managed to get back to see a show yet in the theatre? Have you been to anything yet? I have. I got yep. to see a play um, in North London, um, a play of two actors, which was which was brilliant. Um, it was. I was going because a, um, a director friend of mine was was doing it, Sam Yates, and we went to support him. But it was amazing to be back in a theatre. I mean. I've been on stage, so I've been the other side of it. But to actually go and see something was was really was really great. Yeah. I mean, were you worried for theatres, I suppose, originally when there was just sort of no, I guess, earlier this year, or and especially last year, there was kind of not really a sense of when theatres would be able to get up and functioning again? Yeah, absolutely. And I think some, especially some of the smaller ones have really, mm. have really struggled. Some of them have gone, you know, I think we've lost mm -hmm. a lot of theatres. Um, I still think there's a little bit of uh, hesitation as such. Um, I think things are selling and people are going to see things. People seem to be buying later, probably just because of the uncertainty of, of maybe if things get postponed or, mm -hmm. or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I don't think we're back 100%, but we're definitely doing better. We're doing much better. Yeah, yeah. and I suppose being a mum yourself, how's, how have your kids dealt with the last 18 months to kind of in and out of school, long periods of not being at school, have they dealt with it all okay? Yeah, I mean, I'm quite fortunate because my kids are quite resilient. And I think most kids are. I think most kids deal with the here and now. They live in the moment. I think it's it's as adults and as parents, we take on the, oh, how are they feeling? What are they doing? You know, what do they think about this? But kids seem to live in the the what they're doing there and then. Mm -hmm. and, and we did as a family, to be honest. We we took it all in our stride of if we're at home and we're homeschooling and we're, you know, going for walks and we're staying active as a family, that's fine. And now schools are open, so you're going back to school. And there was never any kind of question of, uh, is you know, is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? It was like, well, this is what we're doing. You know, we're just going to get on with it. And and I think they've 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 kind of breezed through it really. We've, I'm I'm quite lucky that they're so um i don't know in in the here and now and they've been amazing um i think i think the whole generation of young people whether they're you know toddlers right up into to people in higher education are it's going to have affected them in some way um but it's how you look at it if you look at the positive side of it of 
they've had different things to deal with. So they've had different experiences and that might help them in, in some way as well. Yeah. And I suppose, how, how have you dealt with, I guess more than 2020, how did you deal with that kind of roller coaster? Because there was just so much going on at the same time. Yeah. Not even, just, we, we had COVID, we had lockdowns, we had like Brexit going on. We mm. had what, Donald Trump saying what now? Uh, we had the, the yeah. death of George Floyd, um, yeah. you know, and the anger there. Um, so you know, everything was, I mean, you watched the news in 2020 for half an hour, you felt crap after like half an hour watching the news because there was just so much negative stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, did that get to you or you, were you quite good at tuning it all out? Oh, yes and no. I mean, I think, especially for for my setup and mine and my husband, he works in football. So our lives are never, we're never on a, a routine. We never have a, a straightforward um, day-to-day life. It's always mm. different. So yes, the lockdown was difficult and, and, and it absolutely had its challenges, you know, with the homeschooling and, and not working or I've tried, I worked in a slightly different way. But for us, it's always different anyway. So it just was another change and, mm. and it, we just got on with it um, because we're, we're so used to doing that anyway. You know, we'll, I'll have maybe a month where I might be away. I might be out of the country. I might be in London or might be over, all over this country. And then the following month, I might be around the whole month. It's, it's always different for us. Mm-hmm. So lockdown was just a slightly bigger extension of that, really, that I just didn't have to worry about childcare. <laughs> yeah. That's good. <laughs> I mean, how, I mean, what, I guess, what have you, what you sort of got planned going forward now and what's, what's going on in your world? Well, lots of things that got cancelled or postponed, should I say, mm. in the in the in the lockdown, um, are now starting to surface, and I'm I'm kind of scheduling in all those concerts and events that didn't happen. So that's great. That's starting to pick up a lot. Christmas is always really nice and busy for me. I do lots of concerts and mm-hmm. orchestral gigs, which is lovely. Um, I did my podcast through the. Uh, I saw, yeah, I the saw. lockdown. So yeah. we did four seasons of um, Keep Calm and Carry On, mm-hmm. which was brilliant. I had no idea that that was going to happen really. We, we, I just tried it, tried it out. And then, you know, four seasons later, it's going from strength to strength. So that's, I'll be carrying on with that. I wrote a book. So a book's going to be coming out in November. Um, just about my life up until, uh, lockdown really. Um, And then coming up, so there's a new album on the way. I've just signed to a new um, label called Westway. So I'll be doing a new album with them early next year. Uh, and yeah, just lots more concerts. I'll be out with uh, with Queen Machine and probably doing some stuff with Brian. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, starting to, it's starting to look good again. That's good. <laughs> yeah, well, my friend, um, I told him that I was talking to you, who is a massive fan and he's been to see you five times with Brian. Oh. And he and he and he's called Jake, and he has he wanted me. He said, "Please ask her if she's gonna do." I've got that. I can't remember the name. Is it the acoustic by candlelight stuff? Oh, yeah. He he said it was amazing, and he said, "Is there any chance of you and Brian doing that again?" <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think there's definitely a chance of us doing something. I mean, mm-hmm. I know they've got their big Queen tour next year, um, but we did have a, a tour penciled in for November, but it's it it can't work. It can't work out this time, but. We will definitely do something, but what it will be, I don't know. The acoustic by Candlelight was amazing. We did it a couple of times, but 
we always like to create new things and do new performances. So mm -hmm. there might, there's always an element of that in our, in our show now, but um, I mean, who knows, who knows? I'm sure we will get out there and do something. We, we started in the, before the first lockdown, we were in the studio working on some new music. So that might come to fruition and we might tour that maybe. Oh, great. I mean, what's it like working with Brian May? It must be absolutely incredible. Because how long? I mean, how, how long have you known him for now? Because you, you must be going quite a way back now. Yeah. Um. So we met in uh 2002. So God, nearly. Right, yeah. Years. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, he, he's kind of almost part of the family, really. Um. And he's he's been part of my you know half my life. I'm like 42 now. So, you know, he's been around for a long time in, and very influential in my life. So he's, like I said, he's like an extension to, of the family. He's, um, we've collaborated for a long time. Um, he's been quite a mentor over the years, um, taught me a lot. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing. You know, he's, he's Brian May, he's a rock star. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's yeah. amazing. Were you a big Queen fan? Yeah, my dad was. Um, I mean, I think we, I mean, who isn't? I, as in, yeah. <laughs> I think Queen music is in everybody's life, whether they like mm. it or not. You know, I think it's almost part of our history. It's not a case of, of. I mean, I, I wasn't really old enough to go and to go and see them as such. I, I'm, I'm gutted I never got to see them with Freddie. Um, yeah. When I was growing up, it, while Freddie was alive, I wasn't quite old enough to be going to gigs and stuff. So. I kind of missed that opportunity, but I was very aware of their music. Um, and then obviously, as I started to work with Brian, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan now. Mm -hmm. um, more of a supporter, I guess, now. Yeah. Did you see the movie of Bohemian Rhapsody? I did see the yeah. movie. Yeah. Did, did you enjoy it? I did. Um, it was it was really strange for me to hear, hear, um, hear the, the actor that played Brian Right. It sounded so much like him. It was kind oh, really? of strange. And his mannerisms were so familiar. It was so strange. But it, the film was great. I thought it was really well done. And, you know, it deserved all the all the kind of excitement and press and support that it got because it, it was great. It was really great. Yeah. And obviously you've been involved in many amazing musical shows and performances. Is there a show or a character or even a song that out of all that you've done that you sort of hold dear to you perhaps a little bit more? Oh, all of them. I mean, all of them, yeah. because they, they take over your life for that period of time. So mm -hmm. they're all incredibly important. They, when you're doing a show for a year, it becomes so much of your life. It becomes so much a part of who you are and what you're doing. Um, and they're all special. I mean, obviously, Rocky, we had an amazing time. We all felt like rock stars. We were hanging out in London. We were young. We were singing rock songs to packed stand innovations. You know, it was it was incredible, a lot of fun. But then other things like Les Mis was a joy. Um, Cats was brilliant. Uh, Wicked, obviously, you know, they're all they're all really important and they all they all mean so much. It's another reason why I wanted to write the book because I wanted to write about all those experiences that I'd had while I can still remember them and make sure that I could document it down now while it's still kind of in my mind. Yeah. Was it ever like a sort of first pinch me moment like for you? Like it's happening kind of thing? Um, I don't remember a significant moment of mm. this is it. 
because it was a gradual thing. I think every time I step on a stage, there's always that moment of nerves, excitement of uh, um, when an audience responds, there's, there's always that moment of, I don't know, adrenaline. Uh, and that this is this is special and this might be the last and this is, you know, what is next? Um, mm. but, I mean, My Fair Lady was the first uh, West End show that I did, but I don't know if there was that, you know, that, you know, movie moment of the penny drop in kind of thing. I don't think that right. it happened like that. It was more gradual. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was a, an amazing show to be part of. Mm-hmm. And what year was it that you did Wicked? What year was that? So I opened it in 2007, I think. They just had their 15th anniversary, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And did you know back then how successful the show would be? Did you expect it to sort of still be running now? No, we had no idea. I mean, when I got called up for the audition and they said, uh, you know, Wicked is coming to London, I didn't even know it. I didn't even know the show. I knew it was on Broadway, but I didn't know the music. I didn't... I knew that it was something that was pretty big deal on Broadway, but I didn't know anything about it. So I, when I got the call, I then bought the, bought the CD at the time and listened to the tracks, the 12, you know, mm-hmm. main tracks and started to get to know the show. Um, but no, we had no idea. And also sometimes things that are big hit in, in America don't always have the same reaction yeah. here, mm-hmm. but, um, I think we knew when the show opened, it was going to be quite a big deal just by the response and by the hype and the excitement around the show. We definitely knew it was something that was going to be interesting, but I didn't know it was going to last for 15 years. I had, I didn't have a clue. Yeah. And it's got a really, I didn't realize how huge, like some of the diehard Wicked fans that you see there. Like I've been a couple of times to see Wicked, but like you sort of hear conversations sometimes with people that have been like their 20th time or something, okay. and like, you know, yeah, yeah. And you know, they're signing everything and yeah. they go to every opening night of a new cast or something. And they're always there. Wicked does, does create a community for people. Mm. It really does. I mean, I, there's various people that I know that say, Oh yeah, we met on Wicked and we, you know, we now have been friends for 20 years, you know, 15, 10 years, whatever it is. And we, you know, for goods our song, and they have they have real connections to the show. It does it does open up this community. I don't know what what that is. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why that is, but it definitely has a community about it, which is really nice to be part of. Yeah, isn't there? I think I've, I don't know if it's a rumor or like it's definitely a, a wicked movie. Is it like definitely? Yeah, no, happening? absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. been it's been rumored for fifteen years, but it yeah. definitely is coming. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do, do, do you? They haven't announced like a cast or anything yet. Have they? I don't think. No, they haven't. No. It keeps getting right. back. So. Right, right. All we know is that James Corden will probably be in it. Probably. <laughs> probably be Alpha. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could well be. Don't know who he'll be, but they'll fit him in somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing I didn't want to talk to you about. I mean, you went on. It was probably a, quite a big risk for you to go on The Voice and try that out, right? And um, you know, I remember the audition well, like. Was there something that you wanted to prove or take that risk to try and to try and do? Because arguably, you know, you've got a better voice than some of the most of the judges have. But like, so I mean, what was the thinking behind that? Because you're already an established star, you know, before you went on that. I think exactly that. I mean, it was the first year the Voice came to London, um, 
And I got a call up from the producers basically saying, would I go on the show? Um, would I just go on the live show? And I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose here. I mean, I'd done a bunch of shows. I'd had a record deal. I'd toured. I'd done a lot of concerts. And for me, my career has always been about um, trying new things, you know, opening different doors, trying new avenues. I'm not one of those people that just does musicals. I do mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff. I do voiceovers and my podcasts and concerts and musicals and music. And so for me, it was like, it was just an opportunity. And I didn't really think too much other than that. I mean, I'd never really kind of thought, oh, I want to go for the X Factor. Or I want to go for um, Britain's Got Talent. Because I just that wasn't on my radar. But I thought, well, the voice is something new. I get to go and sing to the nation. And why not? You know, I, I audition for a living. It's what I do, you know. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I've just got to do it in public. Why not? You know, take that risk. And that was it. It wasn't really much more thought through than that. It wasn't a, um, it wasn't premeditated as such. The irony is that it got so much attention and it got so, people mm. still talk about it now, you know, this is, what are they in their 10th year, something like that. Something like that. Um, and it's, it, people are still shocked by it now, which it makes me, makes me laugh really, because it was, su it was such a fleeting moment. And I, ironically, it did so, it did a lot of, um, it was very powerful uh, because I still get asked about it. I still, you know, people are still like, what is that about? And, it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the irony after that, after I did that audition, I went to the Olivier's uh, the following year to, or that year to, to sing. And it was almost, I felt like Lady Gaga walking down the red carpet. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the press went mental. And what, was weird for me about that was I'd done a bunch of musicals. I'd done a, you know, lots of high profile gigs before that. And they weren't that bothered. The minute I went on The Voice for one, one like 30 minute clip, not 30 minute, 30 second clip, the paparazzi went mental. I was like, what is this all about? You know, what is this, I've done, what is this about? <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, really surreal. But um, I mean, yeah, obviously, I mean, was it difficult to kind of deal with that afterwards? Because like, like you say, like to sort of move on from that, because like lots of people, I suppose, wanted to have, uh, you know, your reaction to it or photos or you to comment on it. Was it kind of hard just to kind of go, right, I've done it, forget about it? Or was people trying to sort of bring it up? I don't know. They still do. I mean, right. <laughs> say, 10 years later, people still talk about it. I, no, not really, because... I had to, I took responsibility for going on the show. So mm -hmm. it, it, for me, there's no, there's no, um, there was no agenda and there's no disappointment about yeah. the outcome. So I'm like, you know, I don't get jobs all the time. I don't get loads yeah. of musicals. I don't, so for me, I'm like, okay, it didn't happen. Okay, that's fine. And, and we move on. And there the, the was the, the reaction is still the same but it just it still makes me laugh it laugh that 10 years on I'm still talking about it so in in a sense it had its own it, it did its own job it kind of yeah. it did it, it was it put it put something out there so that's yeah. fine <laughs> I think because you had like the audience on your side right because they were quite shocked to the you know that the, they didn't turn around but like the audience were kind of really behind you and 
kind of, you know, there was always that shock value of how did you not turn around but that person got through? You know, it's always, I guess it's that kind of reality show thing. It's always a talking point, isn't it? Like, yeah. how did that person not get through but that person did and things like that? Yeah, I think it, what it did do was pave the way for other people in the arts to go up for these reality shows. Mm -hmm. I think because lots of musical, lots of performers since then have have gone on and have done, you know, some have got through, some haven't. And, and I think that was good. It opened a bit of a door and went, it's okay for us to do these things. You know, this is the way, or at that time, it's not so much now, but at that time, it was very much a way that our industry was moving. It was it was a lot of it. There was all the Find a Nancy, Find a, a Joseph. You know, there was lots of those reality programs mm -hmm. around. So it was like, well, we either don't get get involved and don't get the jobs, or we get involved and we show that there's a lot of talent out there and there's a lot of quality trained people out of there doing brilliant things. So that's okay. Yeah. I think that's all right. I think it's good to educate the public as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is there a show that, a musical show that you haven't been a part of that you think, oh, I'd really, I'd really love to be in that show? Um, yeah, it becomes less, it's, it's, there's a bunch of musicals that I'd love to do. I mean, mm -hmm. things like Evita and Sunset Boulevard and Gypsy and those kind of things. But I have, I think at the moment, because I'm so busy doing other things, that and I've done musicals for a long period of time and I know the commitment that they take. I know that you give your life to them and I've given my life to them for a long time, that it's not as on my radar now as it, as it used to be. Um, a show has to now be very right for me um, and tick a lot of boxes for me to consider it. Whereas before, I, because I didn't have any commitments, I didn't have a family and, and mm. uh, you know other commitments so i i could be a bit more free with my choices whereas now it's it's a little bit more different it's a, it's a bit more difficult for me to commit to something like that because if i was to do a show on a whim you know i'm not going to see my kids for a year so it's right. it's, it's the, the the choices or the or the i have to I have to think things through a bit more now yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you'd be in a great Mary Poppins. Would you ever do that? Like, I, I think you'd be fantastic as Mary Poppins. Well, maybe one day. Maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> well, are you um, a Disney fan? Love Disney. Love yeah. Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have what's your, what's your favorite Disney movie? Um. Oh God. Well, my kids. My kids love them. I mean, we're mm. we love Moana in this house is pretty pretty strong, but we yeah. love all the all like the Pixar movies, like The Incredibles, and yeah, we love all of that stuff. It's 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 great. Yeah, brilliant. And I know you're involved with a charity. Is it with Brian May, the Born Born Free charity? Yeah. I mean, what's that? How long have you been doing that for, and what's the experience been like with them? Um. Yes, yeah, so I've always been a bit of a of an animal lover and supporter. And we had an opportunity with a song. We'd worked with Don Black and we'd done a song um, together. And then I don't know how it happened, whether we came we came up with a song first or whether we got introduced to Virginia McKenna first. I can't, I can't mm. remember which, which way around it was, but we ended up recording a new version of Born Free for the charity to raise, raise money. Um, and then we got kind of involved with the charity a little bit more, did a bit more work for them, raised a bit more money. And we ended up going out to 
South Africa, where their main hub is, where they do a lot of the, um, where the sanctuary is, where they re, uh, rehabilitate a lot of animals. Um, and we went out there to film the video for, for Born Free and ended up moving some lions around and, and being shown all around the, 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 the uh, where, they, where they're based, the safari where they're based. And it was just, it was life-changing. I mean, Virginia McKenna is one of the most inspiring um, heroes, really, that I've ever met. She was, un, well, she is unbelievable. And I can, you can see where that charity was formed because she's such a, a driving force of something that isn't, isn't an easy path, you know, is to get people to support animals, you know, when there's, when there's people that need help, when there's cancer charities, when there's children charities, when, the, you know, lots of people need help to get people to support animal charities is a difficult thing. And she is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, do you have like a soft spot for a certain animal, like a favourite animal? <laughs> <laughs> well, all of them, really. I mean, I support... Uh, Brian has obviously his own Save Me charity, which supports um, the wildlife here in the mm -hmm. UK. Um, and then obviously the Born Free is a little bit, you know, they're big cats mainly. But for me, it's, it's anything, really. I remember going to India once and going to the elephant sanctuary and just sobbing, you know. Yeah. It, it was so moving um lots of elephants in, in an incredibly huge uh, environment where they're just being looked after and looked out for and it just moved me so much um so yes yeah, so not it's, but then also i'm a member of the dogs charity uh the dogs trust mm. back here and so for me it's it's any any really yeah do you have a dog or any pets i do have a dog yeah I do have yeah a dog. <laughs> yeah oh great was that a rescue dog or did you get him as a puppy or yeah, we had him as a puppy. He's 12 now. I've had him oh, wow. um, for a long time. But um, I, 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 we're going to get another one. So I, I think we might rescue. I mean, I have kids, so it's tricky to rescue dogs. But mm. I think we're going to look at rescue. Yeah, I've got a rescue. He was a puppy that well, I adopted him from Romania. Oh, um, yeah, it's a Romanian charity. And um, he was like an abandoned litter. And I kind of had that preference of, you know, I'd like a puppy if I'm going to rescue one. Yeah. Um, because you know with the older dogs you don't know how much attention they need and you don't know if you, yeah. if they're you know um how much time commitment you have to give so yeah i mean he came over here at six months old from romania and yeah it's just like been having a normal, normal. dog yeah yeah, yeah. oh that's amazing got, yeah strange color but he's got black and brown <laughs> but it's great oh, <laughs> unique lovely. that's brilliant some friends of ours actually have just have just adopted from um I think he was from Spain. I think their dog came, but uh, he he's beautiful. Again, rescued him, and he's just the most placid, beautiful dog. Yeah. It can be done. It, it it absolutely can be done. And it, and why not? There's so many dogs out there that need home, homes, and especially over the lockdown, so many people got puppies and got dogs. There's probably even more now to be to be rehomed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, who were I suppose your musical influences when you were growing up? um well my dad was a big rocker so he used to listen to like status quo and right. loaf and so i got that influence i think from my dad um i used to love singing along to meatloaf and bonnie tyler but then obviously my musicals i loved my musicals i love les mis and miss saigon mm. i would sing along to things like that and then i also love people like liza minnelli so i had this real eclectic kind of love for music i love just listening to the 
you know, the chart show on a Sunday and recording and on on cassette and getting rid of all the adverts. And yeah, that, there's a skill to that, isn't there? It's like when you know before a song finishes, before the guy starts talking. talking. You know, yeah. but <laughs> music is it's eclectic for me. I can appreciate most styles of music. Um, I just love having music on. I love having. I like just hearing different different music for different times of the day or for different moods or yeah it can, it's so powerful do you have a favorite gig that you've been to uh i went to the foo fighters um okay at wembley which was pretty powerful um i love the foo fighters and i i remember going to see them live at wembley with a bunch of friends and brian was playing actually he got up and, and guested with them and it it was just electric um, and obviously seeing Brian play with uh, with Queen and Adam Lambert, that was amazing. Mm. Watching him do his thing was was great. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Are there any, um, I don't know, books or films, I suppose, that you feel like would make a good musical? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I was always waiting for Moulin Rouge. I was like, why, the heck, yeah. why haven't we had Moulin Rouge musical? And that's coming, which is great. And I think these new, the new shows, like, um, I think A Star is Born would make a fantastic musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like the Elton John, Rocket Man. I mean, Rocket that's Man, yeah, that crying out to be a musical. Yeah. Um, they're doing it so well. They're making these kind of movie musicals so brilliantly that they're just, they're set there to go on stage, I think. Yeah. I always thought you ever seen the film Hook with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. I always, I always thought that'd be an amazing musical. It would but... be great. But kids yeah. are expensive. They have to have lots of teams. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, you've got your new book coming out. When? What's the title called? And what you know? When, out in November, you said next month. Yeah, it's on pre-order. It's on Amazon pre-order. Um, mm-hmm. And we've got a, a little tour going out. I think in November, I start mm-hmm. doing a few out like, of the Waterstones. Um, Waterstones. Um, you know, I'm going to do a little tour of them, go and do some sign-ins and stuff. Um, it's called Bumpkin to Broadway. Nice. And it's basically just my story, really, because lots of people know this, the Wikipedia story of my mm. show career and stuff. Um, yeah. But people don't really know the other side and what goes on alongside that, you know, the, the human element to it. So I wanted mm-hmm. to write about that and I wanted to, I wanted to share that in my words. Um, and 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 mainly for me, it was it was about documenting what's happened over the over the past forty two years. Before I forget, I wanted to be able to kind of move on to the next chapter. And and lockdown seemed a perfect stopgap. One to sit and do it, and two to kind of it's almost like Act One and Act Two. You know what's going to happen in mm-hmm. the next forty years. Um, so yeah, it, it it was interesting, and people that have read it my family have read it and some a couple of friends have read it and some independent people have read it and they they found it interesting so i'm i'm kind of hoping that that other people will too it's yeah. a strange thing suddenly sharing your story though because i of think course, in, yeah. in, in in the industry like when i go and sing my songs and do my concerts or whatever that is i'm sh- i can share what i want to share but i think when you write a book you have to be transparent you have to be open mm-hmm. and honest and that's for me was a bit strange to start opening up about that and talking about my family and talking about my friends and that's quite quite vulnerable um, mm-hmm. because it's part of me that if I'm if I'm doing me that's fine I can talk about me and and 
that for me it's a commodity but to suddenly open up and share that and tell their stories as such was was strange yeah I mean were you quite nervous about your family reading it yeah I was yeah, yeah. I mean there's nothing in there that you know is there's no big like um scandal or anything but mm. but suddenly you're you're telling your thoughts and feelings about about family members and and about the relationships and and my journey so my journey was very much influenced by my family and my friends and and what happened to me along the way so that's um you're almost taking responsibility for sharing other people's stories so that's that's quite a uh a responsibility mm -hmm. yeah but did you find the whole writing experience quite i suppose therapeutic yes and no mm -hmm. uh, uh yes i mean it was uh, it's weird telling your own story because you're mm -hmm. you know it so it's like it's 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 strange to put all that down because you just think oh this is this is boring this is boring to people because you know it you've lived it mm -hmm. um but then when other people read it and they're like I had no idea that about that you know you meeting that person or you doing that or you know these guys do it, it they, it's interesting for people i think yeah. And I suppose, did you have like, you know, when you were younger, sort of in, in your teens, getting into early 20s, you, I hear from like different actor friends and actresses that sometimes you have, it can get a bit competitive and they can be a bit catty, I suppose, sometimes. Did you have to deal with much of, of that as a, when you were younger or was it all relatively okay? Because I guess social media wasn't like too yeah, bad yeah. at that point, you know, trolling God, and stuff. Thank God we didn't have it. I mean, I, yeah. don't, know, I don't know how I would have felt being in our industry with social media being a young person i think it's hard i think you know i mean i was quite lucky i, I was from a very supportive stable upbringing so i had that support and i think even even if you have that now that constant comparative thing in your hand like constantly i think it's is tough i think it's really difficult and and mm -hmm. you know the the information that's com like constantly coming out of who's doing what and that must be really difficult to deal with i'm glad in a sense that i wasn't part of that but now i have to think about what's going to happen with my kids coming into that mm -hmm. yeah because i think on instagram it's just i don't know it's just this um i think especially for for women it's like there's that comparison of other people isn't there and it's how you measure your sort of happiness based on followers and likes it's a bit frightening i think it is for everyone and and i think it it it's li it, it literally is across the board you mm. you see everybody doing it and we, and i was in a dressing room last a uh, couple of um on monday night with lovely faye toza from from steps and we both were having a great time chatting and da -da. and we we both of us scrolled a couple of times and then we were like what are we doing what put it down for no reason you know it, it draws you to it without you even thinking about it or knowing or wanting, you know, you're drawn in and it's almost mm -hmm. like just habit. We're all in the habit of it. Yeah. You know? Even now I try and have a walk and deliberately leave my, leave my phone at home or in the car, but even self-consciously you go for your pocket to get Love your phone it, yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, what am I doing? Like, I know my phone's, yeah. I know where my phone is, but my, I'm still 15 minutes in and feel like I need to have a quick look at my yeah. phone. Yeah. Yeah. We try and get away from it. I mean, I think that's why exercise is a big, Thing in in my life because mm -hmm. you can't have it on so if I go for a run or I go 
do yoga or I go on my bike or whatever, you, you can't have it on. And that's really important to have that headspace where you're not checking or you're not looking at emails or you're not looking at social mm-hmm. media or you're not, you know, I think is really important. Yeah. I suppose what would you, what advice would you give to a young person that wants to perhaps get into to theatre or musicals or acting or performing? I mean, what, what's, I guess, the most valuable piece of advice that you've learned along the way? Apart from put your phone down. <laughs> Apart from put your phone down, yeah. Um, I think just be you, you know, be confident in who you are. Um, because I think, with especially when you're younger, you're quick to compare yourself. You're quick to look at your your insecurities. And when you look back as an as a as a as an older person looking back on your younger self, you always you see all those positive things. You know, there's in, there's lots of times when I was at college or whenever, and I'd be like, oh, I wish I was thinner, or I wish I was, you know, prettier, or I wish I was this. I wish. And I look back and I go, what was I thinking? You know, I look great. What, what, why did that consume me so much? Um, so I would say just be you, be confident in who you are. Enjoy being young. Enjoy, enjoy that time. Um, challenge people, you know, don't always, always just take what is written in front of you. Challenge it, you know, and, and make choices that you want to do. Be confident in what you want to do. And don't be frightened to dream big you know i think don't be don't be satisfied look forward dream big and go get it because it can happen great well thanks so much for that kerry and i'm looking forward to reading your reading your book out next month i'll be sure to check that out uh what was it bumpkin to broadway bumpkin to broadway yeah yeah i'm looking forward to that and obviously with the podcast the shapes of stories we are all about different stories and different shapes and sizes so i just wondered if there is there a story whether it be a book when you were younger or a book as as you've grown up or um, a show a film or someone's ins- inspirational in your life's story uh, is there a story that you sort of hold dear to you or ins- that inspires you um i mean there's there's lots i guess um I wasn't a very good uh, reader as such when I was younger. I found it, uh, I mean, I don't think I was dyslexic, but I didn't find reading easy and I would be quite slow and and get frustrated and I couldn't read out loud. So I found that quite difficult. But one book that I did inspired me and I loved and I I was just a bit obsessed with was The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. whether that's because of that fantasy element of you know going through the wardrobe and going into a different world and all the fantasy and and the the magic about it sparked something i don't know but that that really hit a nerve with me when i was younger i read it over and over again i loved it i loved the escapism and maybe that was something that was inspiring a career for me about becoming part of that that journey for people to escape for a couple of hours or for a moment. Um, so probably that book, I think, was was the most influential. Brilliant, and I'm sure your book's going to inspire lots of people as well going forward into their into their careers. And I'll be sure to tell Jake to look out for something that you and Brian are going to do in the future, even if it isn't acoustic by candlelight. It'll be something uh, amazing. Something. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Kerry. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
big thanks to Kerry Ellis there for coming on the show. Um, f- so fantastic to to, um, to have her on, and um, you know, I can't wait to see what she's going to do next. Um, super talented, and uh, yeah, really great to to, to speak with her. Um, but yeah, be sure to um, keep in touch with us and follow us. You can um, follow us on Twitter at Shapes of Stories. You can follow me on Instagram, on Prestige Books. You can follow um, me on Facebook under Lawrence Prestige, my personal page there. And we have a Facebook page at the Shapes of Stories as well. But thanks, guys, for listening. Um, be sure to check out my new book, The Boy Who Lost His Smile. Um, you know, it really means a lot for anyone that buys a copy. So thank you very much. And a big thank you to our producer, Giles, that continues to help us bring you these episodes. And thanks for listening, guys. If you can donate to us in any way by supporting, um, you know, you can click on the support us button on um, your apps where you get your podcast episodes and you'll find out more how you can support us there. Anything you can spare is a massive help. So thanks, guys. We need your support. Um, Thank you very much. And I'll see you next time. Bye.